This morning's scripture is from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Thank you, Marty. Good morning, church. Oh, it's great to be together. It's, a, it's, so, it's a joy to be together in the presence of the Lord. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, um, if you want to go ahead and get a head start there. Um, man, God is building His church, is He not? And uh, it's just a privilege to be a part of that. And I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful for the Lord. I'm so thankful for how God is at work. And um, I just being up front, like He's doing a work in my own heart uh, these last several days. And, um, and so I'm, I don't know um, exactly what he's doing. He's just working. And I think that that's, um, I think a lot of us are in that position right now. Um, and so I'm thankful for our God. I'm thankful for his word. I'm thankful for his church and you guys. And I'm excited to see what he's going to continue to do. I'm thankful to have uh, my good friend Eric Winder with us here today. And um, just thanks for coming down, brother. Um, he's from our sister, our sending, our gospel partner, Knit at the Heart Together Church and Mission in Lancaster. And um, what a privilege it is to be a part of the Great Commission Collective together and to get after the mission of God together, knowing that we never walk alone and knowing that no matter what difficulty or hostility or adversity, and if you're like me, you're facing some of that right now, it might come in different shapes, sizes, forms, but it's present, um, that none of us are walking alone in this and through this. And God is with in, with us in it all, and he's over us all as we pursue his mission in and through it all. Today, we're going to see God write to a church, a church he loves, just like he loves us here at Harvest. The church he loves called the Church of Smyrna in Asia Minor, a church that is facing incredible and difficult hostility, adversity, and difficulty. He's going to write to them in this beautiful text, a personal letter to remind them that even in the middle of the greatest adversity that we can ever know, the distinct possibility of laying down your human life, he says, in the middle of that hostility, that adversity, that difficulty, church, you can still stand on my victory. He's saying to them and to us today, literally from the lips of our Savior to our ears, church, I love you through it all. I'm with you in it all. I'm worthy of it all. And others are worth it all, even if it literally costs you your all. That is the heart of the letter to the church at Smyrna. And it's his heart for you and I today. It's going to cost him following Jesus costs us everything, but it gives us even a greater reward, does it not? 
It costs us sometimes our life, literally. We, maybe not in the West as much as in the Middle East or Southeast Asia, literally laying down your physical life, finances, friends, jobs, comforts, convenience, your plan that you had on that 10-year roadmap, the American dream, it costs you everything, but it gives you a greater return. Jesus is writing this letter to capture our hearts. He's writing to exhort the church and to encourage the church to stand firm in God and to lay their lives down for God. It's one of the reasons why I treasure gospel partnership because I get discouraged sometimes and and maybe you walked in these doors and you're discouraged that we can encourage each other with the truths of the gospel. Last weekend was a life-changing weekend for me. And thank you so much for your prayers. Um, God moved in a profound way. We had the privilege, Eric and I had the privilege to serve together at a regional GCC uh, youth retreat gathering in Northeast Maryland where 300 people gathered and God showed up and he showed off. And I will probably cry because I don't have words to explain in authentic reality the sufficiency of the glory and the splendor of God and what God did. But I have the privilege to try to share and to bear testimony to the beauty and the reality and the victory of Jesus Christ. Because what God did there, I want God to do here. And he can. And I believe that he will. Here's a, we're going to look right now at a brief recap video of that weekend here. So you can get a small glimpse and try and find some harvest peeps in this. If you want to go ahead and play the video, if you got it, that'd be great. Yeah, that's a real mouth. That's my daughter. And those are my daughters. I love it. I love seeing God work, and God is not done yet. Um, God showed up. He shows off. When God shows up, things blow up. Chains are broken. Captives are freed. Sinners are saved. Families are transformed. Mercy is received. Confession is given. Generations are altered, world has changed, and I believe with all my heart, God wants to do it again. I believe he wants to do it here, and I believe he wants to do it today. So today we're going to ask ourselves some questions. I'm going to challenge you two things. I told the kids this all weekend. You're going to get sick of me hearing this over and over and over again, but be real and be open. Be real and be open. Come as you are. I don't care how you came in. I'm just glad that you're here, whether you're in person or online. Thank you for being here. Be real with where you are. Take the mask, throw it to the side, crush it up, come broken, come hurting, come rebelling, just come. And be open to how God wants to meet you here. Get rid of the preconceived notions, get rid of how you viewed God previously coming in, and just God, ask God to open your heart, open your mind to how he wants to move in you and how he wants to move through you. Because I believe that as we pursue God with all of our heart, as God is going to challenge the church at Smyrna and the church of us today to, to live courageously in it all because Jesus says, I'm worthy of it all. That's a big idea. You'll see it on the screen and in your notes. Because Jesus is worthy of my all, I live courageously for him in all. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It's counter to my own flesh because my flesh wants safety. 
And Jesus said, I don't call you to a safe life. I call you to a sent life. Because I called you to become like my son, my savior, in every nook and cranny of my life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you meet us here and that you change us here. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts for what you would have. I pray that you would just silence me and that you would flow. I pray that the beauty and the power and the majesty of your word would shine forth. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move and that you would work. God, cut me to cut us to our hearts. God, that's what your word says. If you, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I just pray that it would convict and compel, encourage and exhort us, God. Holy Spirit, do your thing. Move in a mighty way. Help us to see you in the majesty and the splendor, Jesus, of who you are. Jesus, we love you. And help us to leave here more like you than when we came. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of prayer at the conclusion of our service to pray together and to go to the Lord together and ask God to work in our hearts and lives together. And so I just want you to prepare your heart for that. But turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. We're working our way in eight weeks leading up to Easter, culminating on Easter through the personal reality, the letters, that, the personal letters that Jesus writes to the church that he loves, that he died for, that he established, that we now get to carry his name. Revelation 2, this is the second letter, and Pastor Andrew did a phenomenal job going through the first letter last week of Ephesus to Ephesus, where Jesus says, I want your heart. And guess what, friends? He still wants your heart. Are you giving him your heart? Uh, Revelation 2, verse 8 through 11. And to the angel, this is the word of Jesus through the apostle John, as carried on by the Holy Spirit, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation, and I know your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, to, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The word conquer there means overcome. We face a lot of opposition. We face a lot of obstacles in this world, amen? But the word of the Lord tells us today that we can live as overcomers. Praise God, amen? The church at Smyrna is the only one of seven churches listed, the cities mentioned, that is still in existence today in Asia Minor. You can actually go visit it. It was a proud and beautiful city with many landmarks and pagan temples and the political landscape, which highly, highly, highly emphasized emperor worship, which is idolatry. It was close with Rome and and because of the distinct loyalty to Rome, Smyrna beat out 11 other cities for the right to build a temple to honor Tiberius Caesar, who reigned when Christ was crucified. Then the strong allegiance to Rome influenced the religion of the day, even the Jews. And the influential Jewish population combined to create a culture which was extremely hostile to Christianity, extremely hostile to Christ where their lives are literally on the line and their lives are literally not just on the line, but being taken from them as they've been slain for following the Lord, thrown in jail, killed on earth. We have to live with an eternal perspective. However, in the face of that adversity, 
The church at Smyrna lived courageously and continued to stand on God's word faithfully and share the good news, the life-changing news, the only hope that we have of the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. And may we do the same, amen? Courage. The definition defines the word courage as this, the, the, the dictionary, the ability to do something that frightens someone, oneself, strength in the face of great pain or grief. Biblical courage, directly from this text, in verse 10, we're going to define it this way today as the text defines it. As Jesus' own words exhorts us to live with courage, he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. But then in verse, then he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So biblical courage is in the face of our earthly fear, choosing to live with eternal faithfulness because our focus is not on the suffering that we are experiencing in this earth, but our focus is on the salvation that comes through the one who paid for our sins on the cross, our savior. So friends, this morning, where is your focus? Is it on the earthly suffering that we will face? Verse 10 is not the dismissal of the reality of earthly suffering. In fact, it's very direct. Jesus is like, you are going to suffer. Is that where your focus is on the wind or the waves? The sickness, the death, the, the lack of money in your account, the broken relationship in your life, the, uh, the uncertainty of your future, the hurts from your past. Is that where your focus is? Or is it on the Savior the one who heals our hurt, the one who breaks our chains, the one who pays the price for our sins, the one who covers the cost on the cross. Where are your eyes today? Where is your heart today? I'm going to challenge you, and more than that, God is challenging you to live with courage. I love uh, the Casting Crown song, Courageous. We were meant to be courageous. This is the theme song to a movie that came out. We're talking about living, challenging men especially to live with courage. And, and some of the lyrics in the song says, where are you men of courage you are meant for so much more. Friends, God has so much more for you than what you're settling for right now. Let the pounding of my heart, our hearts cry that we will serve the Lord. We were meant to be courageous. This text, Jesus is saying, church, you are meant to be courageous. Are you giving your life for what will last? Or are you settling? Jesus is looking at harvest and going, will you be courageous at Fort Meade in D.C., on the basketball court, at Arundel High School, at UMBC? Will you be courageous in your neighborhoods to stand for Christ in the face of a culture that wants to despise Christ or mock Christ? Will you compromise or will you live with conviction? That is the letter that Paul is writing to us through, uh, that, not Paul, but Jesus is writing to the church of Smyrna, which is applicable to us. Courage means, Jesus is challenging us to choose courage because it means to choose, choosing courage is choosing Christ over comfort, over complacency, over safety. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of our all. Well, I'm going to ask you three courageous questions today. A courageous church needs to answer, needs to look in the mirror, needs to look in the mirror of our own heart and answer three courageous questions. Why are these questions courageous? Because they will challenge you, they will convict you, and they will change you if you allow them to because they're biblical. And I'm going to challenge you to answer these questions. To first ask the question and answer them and ask the Holy Spirit. Be real where you are in that walk in life and be willing to change as the Holy Spirit leads you. Because the definition of insanity is what? doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. 
Some of us in this room need to change our focus. Some of us need to lay down our burden. Some of us need to lay down our sin. Some of us need to choose to actually do what God is calling us to do. Some of us need to stop building our kingdom and build God's kingdom. So courageous questions are courageous because they will require change. Here's the first courageous question. A courageous church, which Jesus is asking us to be, requires asking ourselves courageous questions. And remember, a church is a gathering of called out individuals. So these are collective questions. For our elders, for our staff, are we as harvest living this way? For our small group leaders, for you, collectively. And then individually, I have to ask in my own personal life, in the life of my nuclear family, because, you know, Derek, your decisions impact me. We can't live correctly, courageously, as impactfully as God wants us to as a church if I'm, you're choosing to live courageous and I'm not. So we have a responsibility vertically, but also horizontal to each other to be all that God wants us to be, to impact this community. I believe if we go all in on Christ, he will do things far greater than we could ever hope or imagine. So let's stop waiting and start getting after it. And that begins by repenting from where we have fallen short. First courageous question this text is asking us this, is this. What if I genuinely believed Jesus changes everything? We say it, we sing it. But what if that distance, which sometimes is the longest distance, that 12 or 18 inches from my head to my heart was covered and I believed with all my heart that Jesus changes everything? What could change? What would change? Can I tell you, friends, I believe that the world would change. With all my heart. I've seen it, I've lived it, I've personally experienced it. Look with me at verse eight. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, angel's messenger, he's most likely writing to the pastor of the church to, uh, to share with the church. The words, he, Jesus is talking about himself here, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus is saying here, right here, this is, this is one of, this two, there are seven letters, this is one of two of them with only a commendation. There's no critique here. Jesus is encouraging this church. Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last. I am outside of time. I was never created. I always have been. I always will be. I am in all, through all. I am over all, which means you need to surrender to me in it all. He's establishing his authority over every difficulty, over every hostility, over every adversity you face, Jesus says, I am sovereign in it and I am Lord over it and I will accomplish my purposes through it. What if we actually believe that? What would change? What if we change our mind and stop worrying and focusing on, on the pain and focused on the promise? We're not denying the pain, but we're looking to God's promise in the middle of our pain going, Jesus I believe that you're working for your best because Romans 8.28 promises me that you're working for your best. Help me to see it even when I don't believe it. That's life-changing, is it not? It's life-giving. Now, we can say it, but are you really believing it? Is your life reflecting it? And look at what happens next. He doesn't just stop there, the first and the last, who died and came to life. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about how he went to the cross because you and I can't pay the price for our sins, amen? We're all sinners, fall short of the grace of God, but the gift of God is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't stay there because death death can't stop him. The grave can't hold him. And God raised him to give us new life, amen? Come on, if that can't get an amen, I don't know what will, right? Amen? 
Amen. Do you believe it? Amen, man. That's something to celebrate. That's something to anchor in. That's life-changing. Isn't the resurrection of Jesus Christ life-changing? The cruci- Amen. But what if you really believed that Jesus died for your sins and was resurrected and he came to life? How would that literally change your life? Well, I prayed a prayer once and no. How is it changing your life once and not right now? Yes, maybe you gave your life to the Lord five years, you were 10 years, praise God. But how is that impacting how you live right now? It should impact everything, should it not? But if we really believe that Jesus changes every, everything, shouldn't we give him everything? But what are you holding back right now? Again, these are scary questions because they're convicting questions, but I believe that they're all Holy Spirit questions for our church right now, for you, for me. What would change if I really started to walk this out and live this way, life service, not just lip service? I get a little bit more loose with my tithe money, right? Some of us need to begin to tithe and give. My time, my effort, my energy. I'm willing to have the conversation with my friend because I believe that it get past the awkwardness. What if they reject me? What if they don't? But this is the most loving thing because nothing else will change you. Only Jesus can. I've experienced it. I want to testify to it. I want to share it with you because I love you. Amen? So again, what would change? Everything would. So let's start believing it and let's actually start living it because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. If you believe it, you'll start to live it. So Jesus commands us to testify. He commands us to go. He commands us to make disciples. He commands us to give and give generously. He commands us to sacrifice. He commands us to pick up our cross and follow him. But so many of us are like, this is my plan, Jesus. You can have all that, but not this. Repent. I love you, but you're not really believing that Jesus changes everything. You're not really acting as if he's the Lord and the first and the last, as this text says. You're saying, Jesus, I got my plan. Unless you're on my page, I am not going to follow you. I've had to repent recently of this. Where do you need to repent of this? Because there's freedom that comes through this. Amen? This text says Jesus doesn't just create life. He's the first. He gives us life as he defeats death. And then he upholds us through all of our life. This is so beautiful and powerful and profound. And if you're like, I don't know if Jesus can do this, man, go read Mark 9 on your way home from church. When the father whose son was like possessed and was about to die said, Jesus, if you can do it. And Jesus stops and then says, what? If I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. So what you're believing in your life, what if you really believe that Jesus changes everything? Wouldn't it change your prayer life? Wouldn't it change the way that you live? Wouldn't it change the way you act and interact? So let's stop talking about it and let's start actually believing it and start living it, amen? Let's start praying like we actually believe that we have the God who created the world inside of us and who's in control of all of things and let's start living that way. Let's stop apologizing about, I'm sorry, and let's get after it for the glory of God and we have to give God all of it. So we need to repent, we need to commit, we need to return, we need to rejoice. Because man, God, Jesus is looking at the church of Smyrna and says, dear loved one, as the world is roaring and Satan is threatening, remember that I am risen and that I am reigning. I have, go back to Revelation chapter one, I have the keys to death in Hades. Praise God, amen. What if you really believe that Jesus changed everything? Would you confess more? Would you trust him more? Would you claim more? So let's start doing it. Would you give more? Trusting that Jesus is going to give you more finances so that you can be more generous? 
He changes everything. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead in verse 8 is in you. That's Romans. You're like, I don't know that God can do this. Can I tell you this right now that Paul writes in Ephesians, and we, we anchored in this verse last weekend, that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think, according to what? The power at work, that word is dynamite, that English word is blow up, dy- you know, like the, the Greek word is dynamis, it means blow up, dynamite. The power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What if I really believe that Jesus changed everything? Can I tell you what? Jesus wants to do even more than you can even think or imagine. Praise God. So let's start praying like that. Let's pray bolder. Let's believe bigger. Let's step out in faith more frequently. Let's give up our resources more generously. Let's share our faith more abundantly. Because he's worthy of it all, isn't it? He is the first and the last. He died and was risen. He's worthy of it all, is he not? That's what he's saying. I'm sovereign over it all. And church, I'm worthy of it all. He's writing to a church, by the way, I'm worthy of it all. You need to be willing to go to prison and you need to be willing to die an earthly death. Ouch. And some of us, myself very much at the front of that line, go, God, are you kidding me? You want another hundred bucks? Let's be really real. You want another hour? And we're like, God, I've given you so much. I went once a month last week. I maybe gave five bucks last you know, month. I'm good, right? He's like, you want to be like Christ? Christ chose to suffer. How much did Christ hold back for you and me? Nothing. Christ is the bar. So let's elevate our standard. Jesus is worthy of it all, amen? And what if we really believed that he would change it all? So let's start believing that. And let's start living that. Change the way you talk. Change the way that you give. Change the way that you approach life. Let's create room. Let's make space. Because man, when God shows up, things blow up. And God wants to show up. So let's stop quenching the Holy Spirit and start unleashing the Holy Spirit by getting out of the way and stop holding back and going all in on Jesus. Where do you need to do that? I want to share with you an example about how Jesus changes everything. Not that you need it but I think you need to hear this. This is from last weekend. This was a text I got on Monday from one of the youth leaders about a girl that gave her life to Jesus Christ last weekend. She said, I have been praying for this girl so long to accept Christ. She's a teenager. She's been so, so close and has circled around it for so long. And she was so scared too, because her mom is a believer, but her dad has grew up as a believer, but has recently actively been trying to disprove Christianity Maybe that's your environment right now in recent years. And she has just been so confused about what she wants to believe, but she has seen the hope and the joy that other believers have, and she's been actively asking, where does that hope come from? I want it for myself. And so going into the weekend, I think I had so many people praying, man, nothing matters if we don't pray, amen? The power of the name of Jesus. People praying for her, and after the first session on Friday night, she was like, I think the speaker's talking to me when he said to how not to let what you don't know about Jesus to keep you from knowing who you do know in regards to Jesus. Because I had been letting all my questions keep me from believing. And then also, the speaker said that the answer to Jesus, the answer to the gospel was either a yes or a no, and I don't know means no. And that really hit her because she had no more excuses as to why she wasn't accepting Christ than when she knew she wanted to. She said she was scared of hell and hoped she, she wouldn't have to go, to go to hell and we'll get to go to heaven, but she didn't know how. And I was like, oh, the name of this girl, I was like, young lady, you can certainly have this, but I was so afraid of manipulating her to deciding something to please me. So I just kept letting her rest in that tension. And after each session on Friday and Saturday morning, we kept encouraging the girls to listen to what God was having. 
them to decide and commit to to try to put it into words that they could share with each other. And then on Saturday evening during the session, this young lady just said that she decided to give God all of her sin and that she wanted to be all in. And then after that, she felt so much freedom and felt so much lighter and just had this incredible peace and the joy she had was so tangible and genuine. And when we were outside at 10.30 playing this wild and crazy game called Mission Impossible, in the dark where you run all over the camp and try to capture dirt and things, she was like all scared and she was running around the woods saying, we're going to die out here, but I don't care because I know I'm going to heaven. And it was the sweetest thing I think I've honestly ever heard. (laughs) Praise God. Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? So let's start believing it and start living it because This girl and others are worth it, aren't they? What money wouldn't you give in tithes? What time wouldn't you give up to see other people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? So let's stop holding back and let's go all in and watch God do things that we can't even fathom for his glory in his church for all generations to come through his power. Amen. God, let it be so and let it be now. Praise God. He's worthy of it all, and others are worth it all. So let's stop holding back, and let's lay it down and get after the Lord. Second courageous question that we need to ask as we're real and open is this. What if I feared suffering less, and I trusted my Savior more? I'll be honest. Can I be honest with you guys? I fear earthly suffering. I'm not looking for a wood chipper to run into on Monday morning. But Paul here, Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, do not fear what you are about to what? Suffer in verse 10. He doesn't diminish the reality of the suffering, but he elevates the beauty of himself, the Savior. Because he says, be faithful even to death because I will give you. The only way that you get the crown of life is through Jesus. I will give you, Jesus says, the crown of life. So we need to stop fearing suffering as much as we do and start trusting our Savior more. Suffering is real. Earthly suffering is real. None of us really enjoy it, right? But we begin to see the beauty of it as we see the purpose of it. The name Smyrna, do you know what that, that actually when you look in the, what it means, it means the word myrrh. Like myrrh is a, a, it's a, it's a fragrance, it's an aroma. You know what they did with myrrh? They embalmed dead bodies with the myrrh. What a beautiful name for this city, right? Because they are literally being martyred for the Lord and their dead bodies are a, earthly bodies are a beautiful aroma of worship to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus literally says, behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. He's like, let's be real. You're gonna go to jail. And why? What's the next phrase? That you may be what? Tested. Read 1 Peter chapter 1, that the testing of your faith would be, would be shown as pure gold. There's a refining process happening. Jesus says, I love you. There are some attributes about me and about God and about the Holy, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that you can only learn through suffering because you experience an intimacy of the dependency of, my, of the relationship on us. There is a power, and maybe it's for some of others around you that they will see the glory of, of myself. Jesus is saying myself, the glory of God, the glory of, of God, the Holy Spirit, as we suffer and as you stay faithful and they may give their lives to the Lord. What price would you not pay to see your neighbor, your loved one come to know the Lord? 
that you, your, your faith is being tested. So your faith is being tested today through the affliction, through what you're walking through. What is the result of that testing in your life? Are you like Peter when you're out on the middle of the boat? And some of us feel like we're out of the boat right now and you have the option to look at Jesus or look at the waves. When you look at Jesus, you're good. When you look at the waves, what happens? Whoosh, you go down. Where's the focus of your eyes? Where's the focus of your heart? If the focus on your heart is my money, my money, my money, my time, my time, my time, my job, my job, my job, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna start sinking. But let's look at Jesus in and through it all. He knows it all. He upholds it all. He's with you in it all. He's, let's look at him and let's worship him. Worship literally means ascribe worth that he is due. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the choosing eternal faithfulness in the presence of fear. That's what Jesus says right here, right? Do not fear. He says, do not fear over and over and over throughout the Bible. Be faithful unto death. The presence of fear is not an excuse to not be faithful. Let me say that again, because it's right here in verse 10. The presence of fear, do not fear, be faithful. Now, is there a limit to your faithfulness? No, because he says what? Be faithful unto what? Death. Be willing to go the distance, count the cost, because following me will give you the greatest reward that you can ever imagine, but it will cost you your life. It might cost you your physical life. It might cost you the job you thought. It might cost you the neighbors. It might cost you popularity on social media. It might cost you your boyfriend or your girlfriend, because what? I'm not supposed to date a non-believer anymore. Are you willing to do that? Who's, where, when you look at the value scale of the worst scale, who is at the top? Is it Jesus or is it your kid? Your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your job, your money, your hobby. What is worthy of it all to you right now? Let's be real. Let's be really, really, really real because your life tells it. Your life gives testimony to what matters. You make time, you spend your money, you put your emotions in what really, really, really matters. And Jesus says right here, be faithful even to the point of death. But look, I will give you the crown of life in eternity. Like we get to store up for eternity, all these things. Do not fear. Friends, where are you living out of a heart of fear today that you need to choose faithfulness? The fear of God must trump the fear of man all the time. We need to expect adversity, hostility. Let's stop being surprised by it. Jesus promised it. Let's walk faithfully through it. And I want to, add, I want to encourage you this in this way. I think that courage, living courageously, comes not by fearing less, but by fearing more. Hear what I mean by that. We're not, the focus should not be on fear, fear, fear less, the obstacles of this world, but actually fearing God more. What if we chose to fear God more, even when my flesh is afraid? Because my flesh gets afraid a lot. And I begin to spiral. I can. My mind goes places. I, get, I don't want to get out of bed. I, I, yeah, it goes places. And it's hard and it's scary. But when you begin to look at the awe and the reverence of God and, and the, the verse eight here, like I, Jesus is the first, he's the last, he died and came to life. When I reread chapter one about the beauty of God, uh, about how he is almighty, about how he is the one who is, the was, and is to come, man, that just fills my heart again, right? And I get a confidence and a courage to live this out. So what does it look like, okay, to what are some earthly difficulties you and I have to face that we see right here? Because our response to tribulation and trouble should not just, it should be to receive it, right? Allow it to come because we know that God is going to use it as we remember our redeemer who is sovereign over it. So the first earthly difficulty that we need to anticipate is this. We need to endure slander. Verse, he says that in verse nine. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Basically, he says you're going to be poor in this world. And the slander of those who say they are Jews 
and are not of me, but are a synagogue of Satan. What was happening here was that people that were, um, were born as Jewish, you know, they had the genes of Jews, they weren't following the faith of Jesus. Praise God that entrance into the family of God doesn't come through genetics. It comes through faith. What slander are you facing? Maybe it's at your workplace as you stand for the Lord or say, I know that culture says this about this or that, or you, know, whether you, you name your hot, current hot button topic. But this is what God's word says, and I will stand on it. I will compassionately engage with you on this, but I will convictionally not back down from what the word says about it, right? I will communicate with gentleness and love and respect, but I will stand firm on God's word, and yes, I might be slandered for it. Are you willing to endure that? You need to expect it. The question is, are you willing to endure it? That's what Jesus is saying. Slander is going to come. Secondly, embrace suffering. He literally, again, we've hit this a lot. Embrace suffering. Do not fear about the suffering which you're about to have because you're going to be thrown in prison for about 10 days. Now, that 10 days could be literal, but it could also be metaphorical. And the metaphor is this, that 10 days is a relatively short period of time. Now, when you're walking through the suffering, it's not, right? But God is outside of time. What, what God says is short might be long to us in, on earth, but in the, the grander scope of eternity is nothing in comparison to the eternity that we get to spend with Jesus, amen? So we need to have an eternal perspective. If you're looking for a great article on this, my, uh, my friend, a friend of this church, uh, the president of the GCC, Dave Harvey, who's a gifted, wrote a great article this week on, uh, on Desiring God's website about that. I would commend it to you. I encourage you to read it about what it looks like to embrace suffering. He, he tragically had his youngest daughter, who was in her 20s, OD, um, about 15 months ago. And now he's in his late 50s, early 60s, he and his wife, and I've seen this firsthand, been to his house, watched him grieve and walk and limp and mourn. And now he and his, his wife are raising their three-year-old grandson as their own. Not how they planned it. And the grief is real. The grief is there. But there is comfort from Christ in the middle of it. We need to embrace it by leaning into the reality of remembering our Redeemer, anchoring in God's promises. Another passage I would commend to you on this is 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, if you want to do further reading. Where Paul lays out, like, I need to share with you the affliction of, my, of our journey because we thought we were going to die, and I was distressed about it. And praise God for brotherhoods that he can write to others that can carry his burdens with him, right? You're not alone. If you're carrying a burden that feels like you're about to die and distressed about it, bring it. We would love to pray with you. Don't hide it. It's, there's no shame, Right? Lay it down at the foot of the cross, but do it with friends. Do it with brothers and sisters. We are called to bear one another's burdens through the power of God. But he says, I've learned this, that this distress that I am feeling was allowed by God to put me in a posture of heart dependency on God so that I would in a more beautiful way than ever experience deliverance from God. And in that way, it's a gift, right? It is. You might be, I don't really want the distress, but without the distress, you don't experience the deliverance. And without the deliverance, you don't experience the beauty of the dependence, and you get, a, you get a bigger, grander picture of the greatness of our God through it all. So we need to allow, we need to receive and embrace the suffering as God's refining work to bring others to him and to make us more like him. Are you willing to do that? Because in our Weakness, 2 Corinthians 12. And if you're struggling with this, read the entire book of 2 Corinthians. There are so many great passages about this in there. 
But when we are weak, God is strong. Therefore, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, I will boast all the more when I am weak, right? Because when I am weak, God gets to show off his strength. His power is made complete in me. Third and finally, in terms of the earthly difficulties that this text tells us that we should expect, is this, expect sacrifice. Verse 10 and 11. Uh, you know, he says, be faithful unto what? Death. Death. Let's be real. Some of you, Jesus says, are going to die an earthly death. Are you willing to sacrifice? Because we can raise our hands that I want to be all like Jesus, but when the price gets too high, where do we go? Whoop. We back away. What is God asking you to die to today so that you can, he can have more of you? So that he can fill you more freely because there's something in your life that might be taking up more, too much space. Or when you are, uh, where do you need to step out into faith and be willing to allow something to die so that you can exalt Christ in. Maybe it's a, a, a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a friendship. Oh man, it could make it awkward if I tell people about Jesus, man. It's the most unloving thing ever to withhold the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it not? Because if we really believe what the Bible says, that we are all sinners, and without Jesus we're all going to hell, Shouldn't we tell people that there is a savior who can redeem them from their sins? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. In a loving way, maybe in a winsome way, in a direct way, just let the Holy Spirit work. He's the one who saves. You don't have to be the most charismatic person ever. Just point him to Christ and get out of the way. Point him to the God's word and let the Holy Spirit work. You don't have to have all your questions answered. Some of you need to lay down your questions and pick up Christ today. You've been dabbling around it so long and you're letting what you don't know about Jesus stop you from knowing who you do know Jesus to be. Give your life to Christ right now. Please. You need to value Jesus more than your own life. Contentment, read Philippians 4, right? Contentment comes... Paul says, I've learned what it means to be brought high and to be brought low. Philippians 4.13, right? Many of you have know this verse. Christ strengthens me through all things, right? He strengthens you in your highest of highs and he strengthens you in your lowest of lows. Paul's writing from jail in that moment. We need to grow a deeper resolve which comes out of a deeper value of Christ. When Jesus is worthy of it all, when we value him over it all, we will follow him through it all. When we anchor in the reality that if God is for me, who can be against me? Read Romans 8. If Jesus is worthy of my, I will live courageously for Jesus. And our courage in our walk with the Lord is expecting, embracing, and enduring suffering, slander, and sacrifice. Because Jesus did it, did he not? He did. Read his journey to the cross. And why are we expecting our lives to be any different if we really want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's not go looking for it necessarily, but let's follow the Lord faithfully wherever he leads, knowing that we will receive the crown of life in all of eternity. So where do we need to change? Where do we need to grow? Where is God asking you to go on mission for him? Third question, what if I truly valued eternal crowns over earthly comfort? Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. What, this is what the Spirit says to the church, is the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. I will give you the crown of life, he says in chapter 10. In verse 10. In verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, parentheses, but you are rich. 
Like we need to look to the eternal crowns that we will have because they are greater than the earthly comfort that so many of us, myself, myself very much at the front of the line, my flesh wants comfort, right? My flesh wants convenience. My flesh wants just enough. Honestly, my flesh wants a little bit more. I don't need much, God, just a little bit more than what I currently have. Maybe some of you aren't me, but that's me sometimes. How much money is enough in my bank account? Oh, just a little more. Are you really ever satisfied? I'm not, right? It's a lie that I tell myself or that Satan whispers in my ear and Jesus is like, I'm sufficient, I'm sufficient, I'm enough. Worship is ascribing worth and value. But when we value our earthly things, we are to, greater than Jesus' eternal things, we are unwilling to endure slander or sacrifice or suffering because they might take away the things that we actually value more than Jesus, Right? So as you wrestle in your heart, allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the idols that are currently in your heart. An idol is anything. It can be a good thing that takes God's rightful place on the throne of your heart as the preeminent, preeminent and sovereign one. So where in your life, in your heart, are you allowing the pursuit of comfort, control, convenience, complacency, avoiding conflict to stop you from living the way that Jesus wants you and calls you to do? I want control, so I won't go on the mission trip because I'm not in charge. I want comfortable finances, so I won't give to the church or God's work. I, I got too much going on in my life. I, I, you know, I got I to gotta play this new game on my, whatever the new game system is. There's always a little bit more, right? So I won't go talk to my neighbor. What if, what if we change that? Here are the crowns listed in the Bible. The Bible talks about the crown of life. Here we have the crown of righteousness, the crown of gold, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of incorruption. Can I tell you, does a second home somewhere, can that compare anywhere to the crown of righteousness? No. The crown of life, seeing a loved one come to the Lord, can that, is that, are you willing to be interrupted and to stop binging on Netflix to actually go share the gospel with someone? I hope so. So what, how do we live courageously? Here are five different ways quickly to live courageously. And what's your, uh, the question is, what's your next step in living courageously today? The first step to living courageously is this. Listen up. In verse 11, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Are you listening right now to whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you? Or are you like, then and then and then and then again, when's this over? When's lunch? When will we know? Like, you get the, 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 the twinge, the, the, the prick of conviction, and you just plug your ears because you really don't want your life to change. Are you willing to open your heart right now and listen up to what God, the Holy Spirit, has for you right now and then walk that out in obedience? He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. Open your heart to the leading of the Holy Spirit right now. Open hearts lead to open hands, which leads to an open life. Jesus, you're worthy of it all. Have it all. But it starts with being willing to listen, to being willing to value. And the second thing is this, look in. Listen up, look in. Look into my own heart. Be real. Where have I been prioritizing comfort, convenience, my own control, 
building my kingdom over God's. Where, Holy Spirit, show me, show me, Jesus, you're worthy. I, I'm done trying to live my life and it takes a big risk and I want to challenge you and encourage you to do this. You're not on your own, but ask the Holy, reveal the idols in my life. Reveal the blockers in my life. Where am I quenching the Holy Spirit in my life? Because I want to hear. I want to remove the obstacles. Before God revives out there, he needs to revive in here, right? Revival starts in here. Revival begins with repentance. Revival begins not with the ecstasy of, of great, great worship, but it, it worship and exuberance. It begins with the agony of brokenness of my sin. And say, I can't live this way anymore because it's not in alignment with who God is. You need to allow yourself to go to the place of being agonized and broken over your sin to experience it because God's victory meets you there. Amen. He says, I know there is no sin that can outrun God's grace. There is nothing that you have done that Jesus has not paid for already on the cross. We sang it earlier, right? It is what? So let's bring it. Because why? It is what? Finished. Grace is sufficient. So bring it. Get it out of the darkness. Experience freedom. Bring it into the light. Because that's the third one. Lay it down. Lay it down. Listen up, look in and lay it down. Lay down your sin. Lay down your burden. Maybe you're broken this morning with a heaviness. You're not meant to carry it alone. The grace of God is sufficient. We, never, we can never outrun our need for God's grace or that we can't sin too much that God's grace won't cover it. We never outgrow our daily need of God's grace, amen? Lay it down today at the foot of the cross. Foot of the cross. What do you need to lay down? Where do you need to look up? That's the next one. Look up to that eternal perspective. Look up past my suffering. Look up past the slander that I'm experiencing. Look up past the sacrifice. And look up to the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for you, who is now risen and who is reigning on God's sovereign throne over you and praying for you, interceding for you, fighting for you. Amen? He's worthy. He is the first and the last, verse 8. He is the one who died and then was risen again. He is worthy of it all, empowered over it all. So let's look up to him and say, Hebrews 4, Jesus, I need you because through Jesus we can enter into the holy holies and the throne of grace and mercy and receive grace, receive mercy in our time of tribal. So let's look up as we get down. As we look up, may we lift up our eyes. May we lift up our burdens. May we lift up prayer and say, Jesus, I need your grace. Jesus, I need your help. I need your strength to share the gospel. I need your strength to endure suffering because I'm about to break. Help me to be faithful. I'm feeling the slander and I want to give in, but I don't want to. Jesus, I need you. Send some brothers or sisters to come and stand beside me. Remind me again of your sacrifice. Remind me again of the eternal crown that I'm going to. Remind me again, Jesus. And you know what? He will meet you there. I promise you that. I promise you that. Let him today. Finally, look out. Look out. The heart of this text is a a church that is willing to testify to the beauty and the victory of God to others in the face of adversity, in the face of slander, to look out to a broken, to look out to a hurting world and say, Jesus is the only hope. You can take my life, as Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. You can take my life, but you can't stop the gospel message. So when you leave this place, you are not just leaving to go home, 
to put on the, sit on the couch. You are leaving as ones who are sent. God didn't call us to a safe life. He called us to a sent life, to look out to a broken and a hurting world in desperate need of the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, friends, have been commissioned as the ambassadors of Jesus. The ministry of reconciliation, saying, come back, neighbor. Come back, boyfriend. Come back, daughter. Come back, coworker. Come back, teammate to the way that God intended it to be, that there, we live in a broken world, but we have a Savior who saves. And Jesus, God wants a restored relationship for you, and there, his son took the price for you. It's done. It's finished. So because Jesus is worthy of my all, I will courageously, I will live courageously for Jesus in it all. In the face of hostility, in the face of difficulty and adversity, in the face of suffering, slander, and sacrifice, we look up to the one who on the cross looked out and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we choose to pick up our cross and choose to follow Jesus. Where is God calling you to listen up? Where is he calling you to look in? Where is he calling you to lay down? Where is he calling you to look up? And where is he calling you to look out today? From the beautiful reality of church harvest, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life because Jesus is worthy of it all, and others are worth our all. So let's live courageously for Jesus in it all. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, we just pray that you would move and work, that you would have your way in my heart, in the hearts of our friends. you suffered for us, Jesus. You looked at me in my mess, in my rebellion, and you said, Dan is worthy. Dan is worthy to take nails. Dan is worthy to be beaten and and whipped and slandered and misunderstood. He is worthy for me to hang on a cross. He is worthy for me to spill every drop of my blood because I love him and I want him restored back to a personal relationship with God, unbroken. I want to break his chains through the laying down of my life. Oh, Jesus, you are the first and the last. You are the one who died and who was risen. And you are the one who is reigning. Forgive me, God, for the times that I let comfort stop me from living courageously. Forgive me times when I let fear of slander, fear of suffering, fear of sacrifice stop me from standing firmly yet compassionately lovingly yet convictionally on your word and living faithfully on your mission. God, help me to live with more fear of you and less fear of the world. And as I stand and I magnify your name out of the reality and the beauty of who you are, Jesus Christ, I trust that you will uphold me, that you will strengthen me, that you will mold me and make me more into your image because at the end of the day, Jesus, that is what I treasure most of all. And forgive me for the times where that is not true in my life. God, may you work and may you move right now. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.